Good day from Wall Street. This is Jack Marks for Wall Street Reporter. And today I am speaking with Alan Natowski. He is the CEO and co-founder of Funware Inc. The stock symbol on NASDAQ is P-H-U-N. Alan, uh, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, Alan, it's great to be speaking with you right now. You know, last month uh, we interviewed your, you know, your your colleague Randall Crowder, the the, the chief operating officer of Funware, uh, and uh, you know, he's a fascinating guy. We ended up speaking, I think, for almost an hour, which is actually a record on the Wall Street Reporter. Usually, our interviews about <laughs> are about twenty minutes. So, so uh, and, and the company, uh, you guys have had some great news, you know, in the weeks uh, since then. So. Um, I'll kind of recap for anybody listening, and maybe you can add if I if I miss anything here. But uh, it looks like last week, uh, you know, Forrest and Sullivan named Funware as a 2019 North America Company of the Year uh, for for your um, your mobile platform. Uh, you were recently added to the Russell Microcap Index, and uh, you know, of course, Nasdaq uh, invited you back to to ring the opening bell again. So th- did I miss anything? No, that's a, a good summary. It's been a bit surreal. Uh, it was great to see us get picked up on the, the FTSE Russell indexes. We actually got added to three, the Russell 2000, the Russell 3000, and the Microcap uh, index. So we're excited to now be a, a part of those three very meaningful ETFs. Um, we also were beyond honored and surprised to see uh, in a pleasant way that Frost and Sullivan selected us as company of the year. It's, uh, it's always fun after working really hard for 10 years to build out uh, an amazing platform to see it get recognized um, with groups of that stature. And then, as you said, uh, it was even more surreal getting a chance to fight all that crazy weather last week to get out to New York City. A uh, funny story is that everyone from Funware managed to get there, and I got stranded in Chicago, and they shut down all the flights. I managed to get in literally at 4 a.m., got a couple hours of sleep, and then we opened NASDAQ. Uh, and so thankfully it all worked out, and uh, it's just been kind of surreal to be bouncing around doing that, meeting with some great customers, and then I just got back from a financial conference in Las Vegas. So uh, always a busy time at Funware. Alan, uh, so you know, before we get into you know all the recent progress, uh, you know, for anybody, any investor that's listening to this or watching the video, like they're, if they're new to the Funware story, can you explain exactly you know what it is that you do and what's the the business model? Yeah, absolutely, it's a great question. Funware, at the end of the day, is an enterprise software company. So, as you said correctly, we created an enterprise cloud platform for mobile. The best analogy for people who are familiar with something like Amazon AWS or a Google Cloud or a Microsoft Azure is imagine those kind of companies um, would be funware if all they did was provide infrastructure, software, data, and media to support the mobile application initiatives of the Fortune 1000. We do business-to-business sales. We typically are doing one- to five-year software and data licensing deals. And then after people create these amazing mobile experiences and bring them to life at the Google Play Store or the iTunes App Store, uh, we can help them with the way that they go to market, the way they build their audiences on mobile, and most importantly, the way that they engage and monetize those interactions between the brands and the consumers they care about for their businesses. 
So, you know, some of your customers, can you mention like who, who are like uh, some of the, the customers that you work with to develop you know, these, these mobile apps and to run the, these apps? Yeah, so great question. We uh, originally started the company doing a lot in the world of sports and media and entertainment. Uh, if you go all the way back to when Funware was founded in 2009 uh, and mobile was quite new, uh, at that time, actually, there was only 2% of the world's Internet traffic was mobile. Today, that's 70%, 7-0. And of that 70%, 90% of all that traffic are in native iOS and Android mobile applications for large brands. So when we started in the world of sports and media and entertainment, uh, our customer base included the National Football League, NASCAR, the World Cup, WrestleMania, uh, things that you saw like the Super Bowl. Uh, we even actually did everything from Fox, CBS, NBC Universal, Turner, Discovery, AMC, and a bunch of others. So it's really turned into a who's who by vertical in, in sports and media entertainment. And then as mobile was adopted by other verticals, we started adding, you know, others. So in the technology space, those are people like Intel, uh, United Technologies, um, groups like TrueCar or Edmonds. Uh, and then as we kept shifting into other verticals, you started getting into healthcare. Uh, and Funware is probably one of the most adopted uh, set of solutions for patient experiences in healthcare. But those customers up in New York, there are people like uh, NYU Langone, Cedar sinai Mount Sinai. Out on the West Coast, people like Kaiser and Dignity Healthcare. Uh, here in the Midwest, people like MD Anderson, Houston Methodist. Uh, and we're in the process of continuing to add. We've done everything from Miami Children's Hospital to Alabama Children's Hospital. And then we continue to work through. And hospitality, it's major brands like The Wynn in Las Vegas, uh, and on and on and on. And so it's actually amazing because I've been running Funware for 10 years, but in the probably pushing 25 years of being in technology, um, I've never had such a gold-plated who's who by vertical as our customer set. And as I said, we're focused very much on the Fortune 1000 because those are the biggest brands with the largest budgets that have the largest audiences on mobile whether those are for banking uses, insurance uses, consumption of media, entertainment, or sports content, or what you're going to use when you're going to travel at the airport, on the plane, or even out at, on the ocean at sea on the ship. And it's been really a blessing for us and has helped been instrumental to our growth over this period. Now, you said something which uh, I, I didn't know before, which is interesting. You said that 90% of mobile traffic uh, is, is kind of using these Fortune 1000 type uh, apps or runs through those apps? Yeah, the sort of native iOS and Android operating systems that we use for things like smartphones and tablets and wearables and in-car infotainment. Um, yeah, it's profound what a difference. So, again, it was 2% of the world's Internet traffic was mobile in 2009. Fast forward 10 years later, 70% of all Internet traffic now is mobile. But importantly, 90% are native iOS and Android application experiences, and only 10% represent mobile web browsers like Safari or Chrome. 
Interesting. And, you know, in our interview with Randall, he mentioned that your platform touches 1 billion mobile devices. Can you, can you elaborate that's, on that? That's correct. So the vision of Funware when I started it was that I wanted to create a Funware ID for every human being on Earth that had a device touching a network using their favorite companies and brands that happened to run Funware software. And when we started, that sounded like a crazy idea. And trust me, I, I even had people out in Silicon Valley here in Texas and even in New York, uh, they kind of laughed at that. Yeah, right, was the answer. Well, after 10 years, we now have over 4 billion Funware IDs. And about a billion of those Funware IDs are active every single month. And when you say that, that's important, right? That's a, a petabyte of data growing at about 5 terabytes per day across a billion devices every single month worldwide in more than 175 countries. And that's the kind of size you're associating with Instagram or Google or Facebook or Messenger. These are the biggest reach on the planet. And the way that we built that was by comparison, you think of someone like Facebook, they bought two applications, WhatsApp and Instagram, and they built Facebook Messenger and Moments, and they created a vertical walled garden of billions of people through social networks. In our case, we're more like a horizontal slice through all the vertical walled gardens on iOS and Android to reach the audiences in the Apple ecosystem, the Microsoft ecosystem, the Google ecosystem, and so on. And that's provided us profound insight on human behavior physical locations and venues, and also virtually, like when we're consuming recently something of ours like the World Cup for the women's soccer team um, and massive audiences around the world, uh, and through the Fox Now and Fox Relationships, we support all of that. And what's great about that is you get to learn a lot about human populations and what people want, and that actually accounts for us of about 4 billion transactions per day and hundreds of thousands of transactions per second. So this is real scale, wild diversity around the world, and the biggest audiences on the biggest stages for the biggest brands. So are, are you saying you're able, so you're able to get all that data? Yeah, so we only uh, do things with data that users want. So we're the exact opposite of Facebook and Google. So Facebook and Google have made massive amounts of money by embarrassing brands and exploiting consumers by taking their identity and all their personal data and information and harvesting it for their own benefit. And those consumers get absolutely nothing. Even Facebook's recent $5 billion fine from the FTC the U.S. government took $5 billion, and all of us who were exploited got exactly nothing. We didn't get a cent. What we do and what we've always done is we have set up a Funware ID that that is representative of a human being who owns their digital self. They own their identity. They own all their personal data and information, and they can voluntarily opt in to any type of experience that they want on a brand-by-brand -brand basis. And if they want to opt in to something like a loyalty system in Las Vegas because they're going to get free drinks or free show tickets or free hotel rooms or other kind of benefit from being in that loyalty program, uh, they can do that. Or 
you and I can go to Las Vegas and not participate at all. So what we did with Funware IDs and all of our cloud-based infrastructure is we believe that your identity is your sovereign ownership, your personal data information should and always will be yours. And the only reason that you should provide any of it is because it's selfishly in your own interest or you're being compensated, which is one of the big things that we offer in our platform is a means for brands not only to get the software and data they need for these mobile environments, but to connect to our blockchain-enabled data exchange to reach audiences that are voluntarily opting in and participating with information about themselves because they're getting compensated. And we believe that's how it always should be and why everybody is talking about the salacious nature of the problem. And if you want to see how bad the problem is, go to Netflix on the 24th of July and watch The Great Hack, which actually is done with Brittany Kaiser, Roger McNamee, and the whole group that actually was around the whistleblowing of Cambridge Analytica. And you will see explicitly what the problem is in a very deep level. But nobody seems to want to talk about the solution. And we have been building that solution within our infrastructure as one of the offerings and one of the product solution sets doing this for years before many people were even talking about blockchain uh, or, God forbid, even before all the congressional testimonies about what is a cryptocurrency and what is Facebook Libra and what is Bitcoin and all these other things that are now becoming top of mind. And, and that's uh, – you're talking about the fund coin, right? Yeah, we actually have set up two digital products. Uh, one is called FunCoin and the other is called Fun Token. Those are just software products that are decentralized, but they're used as a store of value and a medium of exchange within our blockchain-enabled data exchange and mobile loyalty ecosystem. Um, we have two different types of products because the regulatory environment uh, mandates that. So FunCoin was an SEC-compliant, SEC-regulated security token only for accredited investors and United States residents, excluding the state of New York, while Fund Token was set up explicitly for the world's population as a utility token, excluding residents of the United States and Canada. Ultimately, all audiences and all populations are needed on a worldwide basis, um, but we've worked very closely uh, spent a lot of money on accounting and legal, worked very closely both domestically and abroad to be able to set up um, these products that can be used naturally for people so that they can have their own digital wallets. And if they want to opt in and say, hey, I'm going to refinance my house in 30 days, or I'm in the market for a student loan for my child to go to college in the fall, or I am someone who wants to take a vacation on a cruise ship in the next six months, we want to allow people to voluntarily opt into these audiences and allow brands to be able to know where every dollar of their media spend went and have an immutable ledger on the blockchain of every interaction between a brand and a consumer globally so that nobody can ever dispute anything and so that there is no black box and brands and their agencies who spend money have the ability to audit every single dollar and every single transaction they ever do instead of going to a Facebook or a Google where it's a black box where their brand gets embarrassed, where their consumers get exploited. 
and where nobody exactly knows what's really happening. We just don't think that's a viable future, and we think that there will be a dynamic shift of a half a trillion dollars of media spend from those incumbent legacy providers to new groups, starting with Funware, and they're going to do that because boards of directors of the Fortune 1000 and the people buying their media are tired of spending money knowing that half of it is being wasted and they just don't know which half it is. And we believe that consumers and their digital identities are going to dramatically get back into their control. Uh, and things like GDPR in Europe are just a starting point to the regulation and the other things that are going to rightfully happen because of the lack of trustworthiness of these very big companies that have proven time and time again of doing the wrong thing. Whether it's all the publicity around what you're seeing with Facebook or whether it's Google and having a Nest thermostat that's supposed to be a smart thermostat and nobody bothers to disclose that there's a microphone on the bill of materials as if any product manager or company on earth wouldn't know that a microphone was on the circuit board in your smart thermostat. I didn't, so you, wow, I didn't even know that. The, the Nest thermostats have a microphone that lets, what is it, is it Amazon or who owns that? Uh, Google, I think, right? Uh, Google. <laughs> Google. Google owns it. And the idea, I mean, I've been a product manager. I assure you there's nothing on a circuit board in a product that I didn't know what was there. I also assure you there's nothing in documentation that you ever would write for something like that and say, oh, you know, we have a, we have a microphone, but we, we're really not going to put it in the documentation. Uh, you know, what are you doing with the microphone? <laughs> right, right. So it's, it, it's amazing the degree of which people have overstepped the bounds of what is appropriate uh, and how little has been done about it. More recently, obviously, you're seeing the Face app, not Facebook, but Face app. Everyone thinks it's cute. You can take a photo of yourself. You can age yourself. Look what I look like. They don't seem to realize that they're uploading their entire contact base all their photographs, and they're basically feeding um, foreign companies to get their AI and machine learning bots fully trained on the evolution of facial recognition. It's insane no, it's to watch what people are doing. So what you said is actually it's 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 actually it's a it's very compelling. So essentially, um, I mean, maybe if I can kind of rephrase, see if I understand it. Essentially, you're you're get you're essentially a a, a mobile platform. You you enable these you know these these different applications uh, to run on mobile. You're getting this data, uh, this consumer data, which is and, and, but the consumers are rewarded for it uh, through these uh, the, the fun coin of the fun token. Uh, but what 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 I found is most compelling is because it runs on a blockchain. The uh, advertisers are actually able to see if their spending is 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 legit because you know if I if I run ads on on let's say Twitter or Facebook you know you know you actually don't know what you're getting they tell you some sort of audio you have no idea it's like I said it's a black yeah, box. Yeah, in fact, it's worse than that. But here you're you could actually, actually see you the buy, person. You're actually I don't know if you know this you're waiving your audit rights if you're a corporation and you buy on Facebook or Google, and if you go to a, a real-time bidding system, RTB system like MoPub, which was bought by Twitter, you can't actually run media through MoPub onto Twitter because they don't want you to see what's happening. And this is the case with all of them. It's not just, 
that you can't really tell what's happening, but you are physically waving away your legal audit rights of every transaction for every dollar you spend. And that's crazy to us that that's somehow acceptable. So an advertiser, an advertiser uh, on your system, because it's powered, you know, by blockchain, you know, through this, you know, the, the the fun coin rewards and everything, they can actually track, they can actually audit and see that you know there was a you know a certain amount of actual real consumers that you know saw their message. You got it. And we started the launch of this to allow brands to do what they normally do. They can use their media dollars to buy credits in the exchange, and they're going to use those credits for one of two things. They're going to access audiences of interest for their company, or they're going to provide incentives for profitable behaviors. Profitable behaviors could be something like, I want you to stop at the store in person. It could be, I want you to share this content on social media. It could be, I want you to buy this special product. Um, but what we're doing is providing a means for brands not just to be outraged that their brand is embarrassed and the consumers they depend on for their business are being exploited. But what we wanted to do is to say, don't just talk about it. Now here's a full data exchange that you can access, spend your media with. You can actually get full visibility of the audiences or behaviors of interest. And all of the people on the other side are consumers that have gone through KYC and AML, you know, the know your customer, any money laundering, and they're opting in because they want to provide specific information about them that they're in control of. And whenever those audience segments or behaviors are triggered with those brands, they get compensated and blockchain is used to memorialize that. And what's even better is the brands who typically on loyalty programs keep all of those liabilities on their balance sheet. Well, when you have a digital wallet on a mobile device, and if I give you custody, I give you your compensation and payment to that digital wallet, well, that liability has disappeared from the corporate balance sheet, and you as a consumer are now in control of the benefit you earned. Because as we all know, if I spend money on Visa, MasterCard, or I get frequent flyer miles, um, they can change those programs over time. They have to keep it as a liability but they may change the rules on you and you don't get to control your points. You don't take custody of your miles. They sit on a server somewhere and they're not in a wallet that you're in control of to say, I want to now exchange what I control for goods and services, or I want to sell them on an exchange and I want to convert it into cash. And we think that consumers should have that right. After all, it's their identity, it's their data and information. And we think brands would much rather be able to connect directly with the consumers they care about than going through all these folks who keep saying they're not doing bad things and they keep getting caught over and over and over again um, doing the wrong things for both the brand and the consumer alike. So it's interesting. So, you know, you know what you're telling me, I just find it uh, fascinating. So with, with your system, essentially an advertiser, uh, you know, if you go on, on Google, you know, you're, you're paying whatever X dollars per, you know, per thousand, uh, but you don't know who the people click. You don't know anything. Uh, with your system, you can actually go back and see exactly that there are people who actually clicked or who actually engaged with the ad. They can track it. You got it. Okay. So what we do, though, is because you're using blockchain, just like you think about you can have public wallet addresses, you can have 
public numbers representing brands and representing consumers without exposing either one. So we provide a means within our enterprise cloud platform for mobile for the brands to log in, spend money, get access via credits. So they're just buying the same way they always do. They don't have to know anything about blockchain or crypto. Effectively, in that case, Funware is offering a, a blockchain of a, as a service of sorts on a white-label basis to those brands because they're coming to us to reach all those people and all that reach that we have because they're voluntarily opting in because, God forbid, they're in charge for a change. They're not being harvested or exploited, but they're saying, hey, I'm right here. Like, yeah, I, I want to buy a new pickup truck, and I'd like to do it in the next 30 days. Anyone that wants to give me a deal, like, let me know what you got. And that's a lot more efficient for brands to get a lot more ROI and efficacy out of those media spend. And most importantly, if you're at a board or you're looking as a CFO, you now have full traceability, full auditability, and there is no disputing because you have an immutable ledger of every one of those interactions that the consumers can trust, the brands can trust, and the outside auditors and board that are providing the governance for these companies can actually trust. Because just trusting the word of these big tech companies right now uh, is kind of gotten sadly comical, as we all know. So you, essentially what you have is really, <clears throat> excuse me, it's, it's a... Yeah, you know, it's a potential you know game changer for for advertising and you know these consumer reward systems. You got it, but it's all predicated over ten years of trust by licensing the software that's needed for the most important piece of real estate that every Fortune one thousand company owns. And you say, what is that? That is the downloadable mobile application that resides on your phone twenty four seven. That represents the gateway between that brand and that consumer. And if you delete that brand or that application from someone's phone, that brand is dead to that consumer. So what we do is we have earned 10 years of trust because we're going to consistently do nothing but license our software and data to these corporations. And through that trust, they now see Funware as a safe onboard into this brand new world of technology of blockchain and cryptocurrency and all these blockchain-enabled data exchanges and loyalty systems in the same way that they knew open source and Linux was going to be important. But what did they do? They went through Red Hat, now a part of IBM, to reach this new world of technology and these new ecosystems because it was safer for their brand. And they had an expert in Red Hat that could help make sure to do it correctly. That's the role Funware is playing with blockchain and cryptocurrency because we have already earned that trust with their most prized asset, which is the software that goes in to drive all the use cases and features of those amazing mobile application experiences for that brand on iOS and Android devices. No, it's very interesting. Uh, so, you know, Alan, last year you did about, uh, was it 30, 31 million in, in revenues. Uh, how, big, how big is this market opportunity that you're going after? Yeah, so we believe we're the only publicly traded company that sits at the internet, it, basically right at the intersection of mobile, cloud, big data, and blockchain. If I said, where can you go on Wall Street on NASDAQ or the NYSE and invest in a pure play enterprise cloud platform that sits in the middle of mobile, cloud, big data, and blockchain, I think the answer would be called Funware, and there would be nothing else. 
And so the great opportunity is to have a wildly differentiated cloud offering that hits the heart of mobile, which when we started Funware, we thought it was mobile first. Uh, now it's obvious, but for years and years, it wasn't until now it is. And what we believe is that that focus and that differentiation um, is what's allowing a great investment opportunity for the public and for institutions. Um, and what more importantly, we have a 10-year track record with these very large brands. To your point, we recognized about $31 million of gap revenue, finished the year with about $25 million of backlog, which is all tied to 80% plus gross margin business that's specific to software licensing. And what's most important is we also exited a lot of probably $24 million worth of revenue year over year in the transactional area and replaced it with all of this high-value software and data licensing, uh, which is where that $25 million came from. So I think year over year we were up almost 20% of what we recognized for gap revenue, independent of the new 606 revenue recognition rules, which weren't necessarily helpful for us. It actually was more hurtful. Uh, and then we had a 2,000-point basis point jump in gross margins. So when you look at every metric year over year, you had revenues up, you had a massive amount of record backlog, you had a 2,000 basis point increase to gross margins, and it's going to continue to climb because all the backlog is even higher in gross margins. And we had a net loss reduction of almost 70%, and we're a debt-free company that will hit cash neutrality here in the second half. So what's how how big is the like the uh, the upside opportunity here in terms of revenues? Let's say let's say if we yeah, look so, uh, you know three years out, because I think you you're just yeah, getting so, started with this with the with the reward system and ads. You got it. So this whole system that we have, you got to think that you're dealing with um, a massive market in mobile, a massive market in cloud, a massive market in data, and a massive market in blockchain. You're correct that this new form um, of interactions is a brand new business. In fact, there isn't gap accounting conventions for any public company. And as we went through to become public at the end of last year and working with the SEC on a registration statement, we discovered that there really aren't any FASB or gap accounting standards for things touching blockchain or crypto. So to date, the first upside in financials is that we've never reported anything in terms of a P&L impact for any of the work we do with blockchain and crypto, but we will start doing that uh, beginning with our Q3 reporting uh, that will be in Q4 this year and perpetually going forward. When you're talking about the shift of media buying from Facebook, Google, Snap, Twitter, and others to the groups like Funware with this new approach of connecting brands and consumers, that's a half a trillion dollars spent globally every single year. And as you know, if you just look at mobile in the application market uh, and you look at the cloud market, um, these are massive, massive tens of billions of dollars that are all additive. So we believe that what we do and how we win is to simply license more and more software to big companies to support their large audiences at scale. Through those efforts, we have more data to help them get better conversion and yield of those interactions between their brand and their consumers of interest. And most importantly, we don't just have to talk about the problem of Facebook and Google, 
but we can allow brands to have a real means to actually start buying their media in a different way. And that will be a shift. And it really reminds me back in the day when I did my first company, when there was Nortel, Ericsson, Lucent, Alcatel, and Siemens, and you had a massive legacy circuit switched install base, and then everything was going to go to packet switching. And as we know, many of those incumbents did not survive. Other ones are still around but are very different. And even in network equipment, you had Cisco that was there by itself, and then along came Juniper Networks as an alternative. We believe that we're going to be that safe alternative for the Fortune 1000 and their agencies on that media spend. And at the heart, we're going to continue to scale aggressively by vertical, all of the software licensing to get more and more people to standardize on funware for their mobile application initiatives, just like they've chosen Salesforce for CRM and NetSuite for ERP and Oracle for databases. You know, it's you know, you're in a very kind of uh, interesting uh, you know position in the market, uh, and you know you're trading at, at a very low multiple of sales compared to you know some of these uh, you know SaaS deals that are that are being done you know the M and A market or, or even you know the public valuations, and then you have this kind sure. of the ad, this uh, you know ad tech model, ad ad sales model. So it's 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 you know it's pretty compelling can you um you also have some very interesting you know strategic investors uh so can you tell our audience about them yeah so what's really important about this is so funware you know we raised a hundred million dollars over 10 years as a private company the first 20 million dollars was raised for the first five years and it was basically our own money so we weren't that long with investors we've never sold a share in 10 and a half years uh, and at these prices, we're net buyers, but we can't buy because we're in an earnings blackout, so we can't be active in the market. Um, but if our price of our stock is going to be low and on sale, uh, then you're going to see that dramatically change when we aren't restricted from being in the market. But if you think about that, right now, I think today our market cap is probably not even at $100 million on a deal that went public at $301 million about six months ago. Um, and so right now, you're basically getting a two-third off sale that's not even uh, a market cap equivalent to the money that we raised. Uh, and more importantly, you're getting that on massive uh, financials that have continued to improve throughout 2019. An enterprise software company trading at less than three times trailing revenues uh, is, is basically insane. As we were talking about right before jumping on you know, the, the formal call, you know, most of these SaaS companies are trading at 8 to 12 times, and you're even seeing acquisitions done at 15 to 30. Um, and for us, we're trailing, tra trading at less than three times, uh, which we think is relatively uh, obscene. Um, on top of that, when you talk about the investors, who's in this? This is a gold-plated who's who of, of everyone you could care about. Corporate strategic investors include Samsung at the chipset level, Cisco Systems at the network gear level, World Wrestling Entertainment at the content level, and also a conglomerate out of Southeast Asia called PLVT, which is kind of an equivalent of a, an AT&T or a Verizon here in the United States. On top of that, we have publicly traded first-hand technology value fund as an investor from the venture side. And then on top of that, we have several other VCs, ranging from Battery Ventures, Relay Ventures, Fraser McCombs, Maxima Ventures, uh, that all participated when we were private. And we even have Kazana, which is a sovereign wealth fund. 
So we have $100 million of investment, 10 years of operations, a debt-free status, $25 million of backlog, $31 million of trailing revenues, um, a 2,000 basis point improvement in gross margin year over year, a 70% reduction in net losses on an earnings per share basis year over year. And we even supplemented all that with a who's who of blockchain and crypto investors, including Draper Network. Uh, and Tim Draper, through Wavemaker Partners, has been an investor from very early on. And obviously, he was one of the gentlemen that went out and you know, very successfully bought about $30 million of uh, Bitcoin from Mt. Gox years and years ago that turned into billions. Um, we've also got not just Wavemaker Partners, but Wavemaker Genesis. Um, we've had the founder of Tether. We've got a pile of other folks that we now jokingly call the Portopians, uh, which were folks that were early in blockchain and crypto, and many of which now live in Puerto Rico because of the advantages of taxes of a U.S. territory. And what we really wanted to do was to put a who's who of blockchain crypto investors along with a who's who of corporate strategic, sovereign, and venture capitalist investors so that we had a foundational base. Uh, and now it's really a matter of you know, really getting out and sharing the message of Funware, introducing our company to a broader set. We were very honored, and it was wonderful to get institutional acceptance within three of the FTSE Russell indexes, as we talked about before. And now we just need to be able to get more and more folks out there to be familiar with, you know, when you think of technology, we want you to think there's hardware, there's software, there's firmware, and of course, there's Funware. I like that. <laughs> uh, Alan, uh, my last question to you is uh, kind of maybe recapping what you, what you said earlier, but you know, in your opinion, you know, what are the, let's say, top three reasons uh, that investors uh, should consider the stock today? So that's really straightforward for me. Uh, one, people. Uh, the group running Funware is second to none. Uh, we have uh, all been doing this for our entire careers. Uh, many of us don't have to work for a living. We've successfully bought and sold companies. Uh, we've successfully built and sold them. Um, I've been fortunate to even do angel investing and things like Vonage and Ring Central uh, as the first money in. Uh, we have a lot of people that have come from amazing backgrounds and have a lot of experience. Um, I did all my graduate work in engineering and business at Georgia Institute of Technology and UC Berkeley, respectively. Our co-founder and CTO, Luan Dang, who we've worked together now for more than two decades, all the way back through every company we've done. Uh, he actually did his graduate work in computer science at Stanford. Our COO, Rand, Randall Crowder, uh, who you met uh, earlier and talked with, um, were both ex-Army Rangers. I did the ROTC route. He did the West Point route, but of course, he's a Kaufman fellow, did his uh, business school work at uh, UT Austin, uh, and we just have an amazing array of people. Uh, when you think about Funware, the name means applications that exhibit game-like mechanics and behavior. The fun side of Funware are all out of the gaming industry, massive multiplayer games, very fun, playful, engaging, addictive user experiences, and the wear side of Funware are all out of Nortel and Alcatel and Cisco and dealing with hyperscalable real-time switching fabric that can handle hundreds of thousands of simultaneous transactions, billions of transactions a day across a billion devices. That's hard. It's really hard. 
So the team, first and foremost, is right at the front. Uh, and me and Randall represent on the board management. We have two people also uh, representing the deal that we did uh, to go public uh, that are on our board. And then we have three independents. Two of the three are amazing women that we added. Uh, we added Kathy Mayer. Kathy is a Harvard MBA. Not only was she the chief digital and chief marketing officer at Carnival Cruise Lines, but before that, she was the right-hand woman for Gary Loveman at Harris Entertainment across everything in Las Vegas and Macau. She is probably the single brightest person I've ever met in the world of digital and mobile since I've been running Funware. We have Lori Marcus, uh, who is a former CMO of Peloton, which has obviously been in the news, is getting ready to go public. She runs the craft-branded accelerator for healthcare at Harvard. And she has had a whole career out of the consumer packaged goods industry uh, and other areas of retail that have been instrumentally helpful for us. And then the final one is uh, Keith Cohen. Uh, his most recent gig was actually selling um, Sprint to SoftBank. Uh, before that, he was a chief development officer for AT&T. Before that, he was doing those kind of roles uh, within the role of Bell South out of Atlanta. Uh, and he's actually trained and certified as a securities attorney uh, back in the day. So we've got great management team and board. That's item one. Item two, you have a massively compelling valuation, which is at a discount that shouldn't exist from a deal that was just done at $300 million literally six months ago. And it's trading at two-thirds off, largely because of nothing other than noise of a new company getting its message out and being able to have retail and institutional investors know who we are. When you think about that, how unusual that we would end up in uh, three Russell indexes and have retail and institutions not even know who the hell we are. Uh, and then the third reason is um, basically tied to growth opportunities. When you're talking about being able to disrupt $500 billion a year of media spend from incumbents that have lost the trust of the public and governments and consumers and brands all at the same time, like Facebook and Google, that is going to be an epic battle for those dollars and for that trust. And we believe that we have the best solution, which is connecting those brands directly with consumers. Consumers opt in because they're in charge and they're getting compensated. Brands opt in because they have full audit rights, full openness and transparency. And all of this is overlaid by the most important markets to be in, which is licensing software and data across the needs of the mobile applications for the Fortune 1000. And that basis is providing a unique cloud platform that doesn't exist and allows us to play right in that intersection, mobile cloud and big data. And then we added blockchain to solve a massive problem uh, that exists in media spending on a global basis. So we've done this for 10 years. We went public as an event to grow, and we're excited to scale this. And when we focused on building Funware with Vision, we said, where do $100 billion companies come from? And we went back historically and looked, and you have to win a wave of computing. And that's what we're trying to do. But the wave back in the day of the PC era of computing, that was won jointly by Microsoft and Apple, and they are both way beyond that $100 billion number. After that, there was a client-server era of computing. Oracle won that, and again, way beyond $100 billion. After that, I would say Internet era of computing, and you would immediately say Google. 
If I said the social era of computing, you would immediately say Facebook. Again, all massive companies. And what we're going to win is the decentralized era of software. This is just a new form of software delivery. We're going to use things like tokens and the cloud. Uh, just like back in the day, people got used to doing software downloads, or even way back in the day, buying a DVD or a CD and loading software uh, onto a device for use. So that's really where the target is. That's really where the focus is. And for us, it's all just business to business selling to the Fortune 1000. It just happens to be an entire platform that gives them software, it gives them infrastructure, it gives them data, and it gives them the ability to spend their media without having to feel like they're going to get punched in the face and that they can actually reconcile all the dollars and all the transactions so that consumers trust what is happening as much as they do. Uh, Alan, on that note, uh, I want to thank you. And, uh, you know, we look forward to hearing more great things from uh, Funware uh, in the coming months. Excellent. Well, thank you for your time, and we really appreciate it. It's always an honor to be able to spend time with you and be able to share our story with a wider audience. Thank you.